my part of today's service is to read the Bible and we now hear what Jesus has got to say for us and to other people. It comes from Matthew chapter 20 verses 1 to 19 from the New International Version. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when the others came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble about the landowner and those who were hired last. These who were hired last worked only one hour, he said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Now Jesus is going up to Jerusalem and on the way he took the twelve aside and said to them, We are going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death, and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day he will be raised to life. Um, but have a think, that's a story that Jesus told. And we're going to have a look at that story in just a moment. In um, Kingdom of Heaven is what is talked about in Matthew. And the word that we use for that is Matthean. And it's because it's unique to Matthew. He calls it the Kingdom of Heaven, not the Kingdom of God. Because obviously we see the audience is more Jewish. And he's sensitive about using the name of God or misusing the name of God. So, uses the kingdom of heaven. And we see in John, John the Baptist, and all these things are tying together from the chosen today. John the Baptist says, the kingdom of heaven is come near. Matthew 3. Matthew 4, Jesus himself, as he starts his ministry, says that as well. And then we see it. We see the kingdom of heaven come as the sick are healed and the blind see. That happens in ministry in Galilee, in the region, Nazareth and where he's from, up north, and it happens in Judea, ministry in Judea. 
which we come to uh, t- today and which we have been looking in in Matthew 19 to 20. Now there's also this uh, thing going on, if you haven't noticed, I've mentioned before, but there's this public ministry that happens here, because at the start of 19, if you've got your Bible there, or if you've if you just got your insert, you'll have to look in a Bible. At the start of 19, we see that he's speaking to the crowds, or crowd, a large crowd of people are following him. And so it's very public, the ministry here, as he starts in Judea. But it moves to private ministry as a man asks him, about what he must do and we see his interaction with this rich ruler and it gets more private too as he gets down to the disciples and just speaking to his followers in 1923. And the principle that we see here in this parable when we get to it is there's a principle in the kingdom of heaven that people join at different times but they receive the same reward, the kingdom of heaven. They join at different times, but they, they receive the same reward. Now, it doesn't mean that there's, not, that, that there's um, different amounts of treasure in heaven. Because Jesus says, build up for yourself treasures in heaven. And you can think after what that might mean and talk about that later. But this pursuit of wealth is getting in the way in the story before with this rich young ruler. And Richard, remind us last week, what are the blockages? What are the barriers? of our relationship with God and thinking about what barriers and blockages may need to be removed. Now possibly here there's a pursuit of wages in the vineyard and so we get to chapter 20. The parable is um, a parable of equal pay for unequal work. I don't know if you're an advocate for that. And one commentator has called it the eccentric employer, eccentric employer, but we really actually see the big-heartedness of the Lord, the large-heartedness of the Lord, is what this parable really shines through to us. But I'm going to pray for us, and I'll ask for you to pray with me as we come to these words. Dear Lord God, I want to thank you so much that you speak, and your word is living, and it's active, and we've seen it acted out even today as we've watched some of those betrayals of some of those uh, scenes of it and Lord God we ask that today as you spoke into your disciples lives then that you will speak into our life now and Lord God like that man I met during the week that this will be fresh to us new and exciting and that we'll hear it as it is your word to us And we ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we start with ministry in the vineyard, and that's our first point there. And if you want to take notes or you're writing down person, give you that opportunity. Ministry in the vineyard, I don't know if you imagine what that might be like in Jesus' day. In 2018, I had the opportunity and the chance to be in Nazareth. And Nazareth wasn't a very big place in Jesus' day. And they'd had discovered a vineyard there because there was old makings of the wine, um, actually of the wine vat, which was carved out into the rocks. And obviously people stamped on it and the juice came out and there was a little gully for that as well. Now this is, uh, Nazareth not being a big place and uh, probably a vineyard that was known to Jesus. And here he is telling a story about it. Labor in those days, in Jesus' day, 
Well, it was pretty much like this, no work, no pay. And we're not used to that in our country. We have social security supports and, and, and things that can support people through non-work. But for someone who is an itinerant agricultural labourer, your livelihood depended on your day's work. And your family's livelihood depended on your day's work as well. Not like a servant, or which the Bible might use as a slave, they had a master, and you know, they, they had, master had responsibilities to look after their servant, and so they had that, that safety net, but a daily hire worker was their day wages. And the, the labour market, well, a, obviously someone who owns a vineyard who needs labour would go early in the morning, sunrise, work starts, guess what time sun f- uh, work finishes? Sunset. What time's the sunrise? About six o'clock. What time's the sunset? About six o'clock, right? And so he goes out into the labor, higher yard of the day, and there's people there offering themselves. He starts with some people, they go off and they start the first hour of work. We're told here in the story on, I don't know your translation, it might have the third hour. And that is three hours after sunrise. So we're talking... Nine o'clock, exactly. So it's translated it for us in this version here. At nine o'clock, he goes out. He goes again six hours later at midday, at 12 o'clock. And you might remember other times it's talked about to third to the sixth hour when Jesus was on the cross and darkness was over the land from the third to the sixth hour, not normally the time when it's dark. And again, he goes out and we're told at the, at the end part of this story that he goes out the 11th hour. And that's one of the phrases we have in our culture. 5 a.m. goes out to call someone in to work in his vineyard. 5, what did I say? A.m., P.M., sorry, yeah. Getting my A.M.s and P.M.s mixed up. I got up at 5 a.m. this morning. (laughs) 11th hour is 5 p.m. That's right, there's only one hour to go of the day before the sun sets. They get a denarius for their pay and a denarius is a day's wages. Our equivalent might be $300 for the day. There's a shock in the story because it comes at verse 8. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers to pay them their wages, beginning with the last one hired and going on to the first. Jesus just picked up the principle of, his, of the kingdom, his kingdom, where the first will be last, which he mentions down in verse 16, and which this is bookended with and so at the start of this parable and at the end of this parable Jesus says the first will be last and the last will be first he just said that to his disciples at the end of chapter 19 interesting isn't it making a point here and it's played out in this scene in this story that he tells and so the 11th hour guy comes in and he gets a full day's pay, gets 300 bucks an hour. Wow, that's a good rate, isn't it? The other workers start to get a little bit excited about that. The point of the story is that this vineyard owner is being very generous and actually sees a man who only got to work for an hour and an hour's pay isn't going to feed him very much and generously gives him the whole day's pay. That's the kind of worker I want to work for, yeah? 
That's the generous one who we see in the story. The first hour people were there. As I said, they're getting excited. They're getting their hopes up, but they get the same. The conversation goes on when we see them start to grumble. The twofold grumble that they have is that these are latecomers, right? And they're working in the cool of the day. Five o'clock, it's not very hot. Well, how did this story apply to us? In thinking about this on our next slide as well, thinking for us as a church life, might apply more than you may think. So I just want to do a quick little survey. And my first part is, who came to the Lord before they were 20? Came a Christian before they were 20? Who came to the Lord before they were 20? Okay, keep your hand up. If you now has 20 years has uh, expired since that time. So I'm keeping my hand up. I'm not 35 anymore. Okay, there's a fair few of us. Right, okay, good. And what I'm saying is we're not... um, we're all, uh, there's a fair lot of us who are Johnny-come-earlies, not Johnny-come-latelies. Johnny-come-earlies. Uh, we came to the Lord at an early age or an early part of our life and being in the journey for a while now. And the challenge then comes to those people that are in that situation that you can get a little bit envious of other people. And the challenge is for those that come late to the scene that you may be a little bit suspicious about why they're coming or you may think that they've got less time or capacity and you might have expected more from them earlier. This story is fairly paralleled to the prodigal son, the reckless one, yeah? The young son who goes off early, wastes things. That's what it's called, the prodigal, the reckless son. And then the older brother who's faithfully been there serving his father. The son comes home, the youngest son, the youngest brother, he gets all the stuff and he gets what's called eldest son syndrome. And I encourage us too then to check your envy and to check our envy uh, when we see the father's generosity to some. And when you check your envy, um, because there might be others who, uh, for their lack of labor, they've come late to the kingdom of God, or they've come in the 11th hour, what's happening in your heart when that happens? And we need to check our hearts and let Jesus check our hearts and let him change our heart if there needs to be a change. Because I tell you what, there probably can be a temptation to think, that you could just live for yourself for a little bit, you know, just at the end when it gets near the end times, you know, then you could come serious about Jesus. You could come serious about what he wants in your life. You can think you could live for yourself for a little while, 11th hour. But do remember what Jesus says in other parables where the guy who builds the barns, he stores up for himself, all that stuff, bang, he drops dead. Jesus says, you fool, you don't know the hour which your life will be demanded of you. So we do remember Jesus' words in that when we're tempted in that way. And when you're tempted to be envious about self-seeking living and you have that temptation, we'll challenge that because that's satanic thinking. It's not Jesus' thinking. It's not 
Christ thinking, which is life-giving, which he goes on to say at the end of the chapter, giving a life for ransom. Let me read for us verse 9 as we uh, finish off thinking about the end part of this story and move from thinking about uh, envious in checking your envy to remembering God's generosity. Verse 9, which says, The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have bored the burden of the day in the heat of the day and worked through the heat of the day. But he answered one of them in a very generous and gentle way. I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give to the one who was hired last the same as I give to you. Don't I have the right to do what I have with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? The generosity of God is enough to let people into his place on their deathbed on their hospital bed and hospital hospital chaplaincy a little bit like aged care chaplaincy i suspect and i know one of those reasonably well (laughs) that uh i call it um pure kingdom of heaven kind of work there's not really much benefit. They can't come and invest in your church. They can't come and do things in the ministry. They're at the last bit of their life. They can't suddenly jump out of the bed. They're in their 11th hour. And it's pure grace, pure generosity. It's like the thief on the cross, right? In Luke 23. Lord, remember me. And the good news is that God is good enough to give people a chance right into the end. Right into the end. Now, I wouldn't. I'd say, blow you, you've had long enough. You missed your opportunity. But he does. And we're reminded in 2 Peter 3 that he doesn't want anyone to perish but all to come to salvation. Doesn't want anyone to perish but all to come to salvation. You know what people who come at the last 11th hour probably say? And I've heard stories of this. Why didn't someone tell me earlier? And they they kind of regret that they've spent so much, wasted so much of their time when they could have spent it in other ways. God's grace, God's generosity should be actually a joy to us when we hear about whoever takes it up. It's not to be a jealousy thing. Great celebration, not grumbling, but it's easy to be envious. Why? Because I think we start thinking that we deserve it. I think it's easy to start thinking that we deserve it. The longer that you have followed maybe, or if you followed for a while. But God's generosity and his salvation system doesn't work like that. 
It's not a uh, good ledger, evil ledger, deeds kind of thing. Good versus bad, credit versus debit. And if you have enough credit, then you get salvation. If you're in debit, then you are lost. It's all about grace. It's all about God. It's all about His generosity. And the twelve who had left everything are here with Him. They're of no advantage, so to speak, for salvation than the next person and even the next Samaritan person, which Jesus reminds them of. And the greatest Australian heresy, do you know the greatest Australian heresy? I live a good life and when I die I'll go to heaven. That's the greatest Australian heresy. Jesus says, no one is good but God alone. And that thinking is a gospel of works, not a gospel of grace. Yes, you'll do work in the vineyard because when you know His grace, you want to labor for a vineyard owner like that. And He'll call you to do different works in His name. But God graciously invites you, whether you've got 90 minutes of ministry left or 90 years, to ministry in His vineyard. And isn't that a beautiful thing that we can celebrate and think of today? But I move us from ministry um, in the vineyard to ministry in Jerusalem. Because Jesus has the last word for them to say here in 17, 18 and 19. And uh, that's on the next slide. Ministry in Jerusalem. But have a look at those three verses with me. Jesus says... Now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem and on the way he took the twelve aside and he said to them, we're going up to Jerusalem, the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priest and to the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death, he will be handed over to the Gentiles, he will be mocked and he'll be flogged and he'll be crucified. On the third day he'll rise to life. This is ministry in Jerusalem. They're going from Jericho now, the lowest place on earth so to speak, literally, and they'll go up to Jerusalem in elevation. And when you walk through there, I've walked through some of the wadis, these are like ravines uh, that you walk through and you can walk through and it's a smart way to do it because if you're in the ravine, the heat of the day in the desert where you start off is hot and so you can be in the shade of the wall. There's also places where they store water along there and capture that as the floodwaters come through those ravines. And as uh, they're on their way up to there, Jesus having a private moment with his 12, takes them aside. He tells them about this passion prediction, which he's mentioned previously, and it's ministry that's about giving your life for others. In Matthew 20, 28, he says, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom. Three times he'll tell them this. This is the third time. And on the third day he'll rise to life again. Matthew in the ministry that he was doing in Matthew 16 in Galilee, he tells his disciples this. In 17 he tells his disciples this and he reminds them of it again here. So let's think about how it applies to us at ABCH as we finish up our time thinking after these words.
Why is Jesus telling his 12 this? Why is he telling them this a third time? Because ministry is about other people. It's other person-centered. It's about giving of self. Ministry is about that. And this is the gospel. He tells them it's about his death, his crucifixion, and his resurrection. And keeping this at the center of what they'll go on to do. It's gospel-centered ministry, keeping Jesus at the center. That means that repentance and forgiveness that you find because Jesus has died and given of himself, his life on the cross, that you can actually turn to him and turn your life to him and you can find forgiveness and then you can have hope of a future because of the resurrection. This is what we've got to be reminding each other of and it's got to be at the heart of our message but also in our ministries that we're involved in. Not only in the message that we give, but in the ministry that we're in. So how we relate to one another, how we interrelate to one another, and how we get along with one another. So if someone, and you're a ministry leader, in the ministry that that you're leading, lets you down, then you need to be reminded to have a gospel-centered ministry. And when that person recognizes and comes to you and asks for forgiveness, that you can forgive them and restore them and we can get on together in ministry together. When you're involved in a ministry and you're a volunteer in a ministry and you don't really appreciate the ministry leader because the way they're doing things is slow and sloppy or whatever, or you don't appreciate other people in the ministry, we've got to remember that the gospel as well. This is a gospel of grace and how we relate to one another is important. There's a new book out and thank you for bringing us some new books. Graham, I've got a uh, 2022 book that's out and the new book is called Gospel Shaped Marriages. Grace for Sinners to Love Like Saints. You like that? A few weeks ago, I talked about the ministry of marriage and we looked at that in Matthew 19 and how important it is to have a gospel-shaped, and I I, I say again here, how important it is to have a gospel-shaped marriage. The grace of sinners to love like saints, grace for sinners. Because I see such pressure on Christian marriages. And I say this as a pastor and I say this as a prophetic voice that we need to encourage and we need to be reminded of gospel-centered marriages. And one of the things I have encouraged recently and of, of recent times too is marriage mentors. This, the ministry of marriage, if you're in a marriage, and the ministry to other marriages is really important and really vital. And so I encourage you to think about that again. And I just, I just thought the other day, a marriage is only one day from failing. It only takes one day for someone to decide, I've had enough, for better, for worse. It's not getting better, and it's only getting worse. And I've had enough. And it's only one day of someone deciding that or that coming to them. Gospel-shaped 
marriages and marriage mentors. A really important thing for our time and for our church life. Well, Jesus' ministry is in Jerusalem and he shows us how to do ministry. He makes a way for us to do ministry and do ministry here at ABCH. And so I want to encourage you as we finish to keep him at the centre, keep his grace at the centre, keep his gospel at the centre of the ministry which you are involved in. And remember, Christ has died, Christ is risen. And I think you can finish the rest with me. Christ is coming again, yes. Let me pray for us. Dear Lord God, we thank you so much that you lead the way, that you are a God of grace and generosity. And you've reminded us here in these words. We pray now, Lord God, as we go from this place and as we get ready to go from this place, that you may sink into our heart in a deep way. How important it is to be people that are led by grace and who live by grace and who work by grace. And Father God, I pray that you'll help us to keep the gospel at the center of all we do. And we ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.